Today, the X-Men are on the move. They are closing the chapter on their current era and preparing to launch an all-new phase in their storied publishing history. We share the top tips, the, the essential ingredients necessary to restore the X-Men, to restore the children of the Atom to their former elite status in not just comic books, but all of social media. We do all of that today on an all-new episode, a bonus episode of Observations. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. In my career in comic books, I have had the great pleasure of writing and illustrating some of the most uh, legendary, storied, epic characters in in the history of comics. But none of them has given me the excitement and the joy and 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 the overall just uh, I- incredible pleasure than than my time producing comic books and stories and creating characters for the X-Men universe. Today we are here on Observations to talk about the road back, the X-Men, the road back, the, the, the path back to prominence for what was once the greatest franchise in the history of comic books. And, and that is our focus today on a bonus episode. We've been doing these bonus episodes of Raw Observations, and, and this is actually acting as our second to the last of 2023. So I have had a lot on my mind in regards to the X-Men the last couple of years, and I figured instead of tearing it down, instead of being part of the discourse, I would offer up solutions. Why not offer up uh, the positives and, 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 and remind the, the roadmap, give a reminder of the roadmap that made this the biggest, most exciting uh, group of characters and stories. Franchise, every, everything's a franchise nowadays. These are beloved characters, beloved stories. And we are gonna, uh, we are gonna go through a list that I have compiled that, that, that I, would, I would hand this to Kevin Feige. I would hand this to Kevin Feige. I'd start at the top as they prepare to uh, bring the X-Men into focus in the MCU post- you know the purchase of 20, 20th Century Fox, and and obviously we we all know because because I mean Wolverine's in it that Deadpool three features Wolverine with Hugh Jackman, Ryan Reynolds. So 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 the the Fox era of the X Men is going to be back center stage very soon, very 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 shortly. Uh, they they announced that they're going to keep that twenty twenty four release date. They're just they're just not going to be in May anymore. It's going to be in July. But in in mid mid twenty twenty four, the X Men are going to be center stage again, and and perhaps give you kind of a basis of which they can, you know, spring forward. And it couldn't come at a better time, in my opinion, for the for the MCU and for Marvel Publishing. But this this road back to the X Men, how I would approach it, how the, the the things that I would would put primary focus on are intended to to again. Target the the most the, the the aspects of the X Men that that caused a generation to to fall in love with it and and put it at the top for all these many years or all those many years that it did dominate the comic book industry. 
First and foremost, right off the top here, I need to tell you, I have no idea of the ideas, uh, the, the concepts, the direction that Marvel is going in as they move away. They, they, ref, they, they refer to it constantly now as the post-Krakoa era. Okay, and, and for, for me, it, it couldn't happen fast enough. I, I would have done it a year ago, but, but this is uh, Marvel's plan as they move away post-Krakow era, era they, they, uh, they announced this at San Diego in, in, in July at Comic-Con. They, they, they basically uh, said, hey, we're going to do this. Some people, some reporters, some reporters who are brazen and saying this is the greatest era of the X-Men. No, it is absolutely not under any circumstances whatsoever. And, and in my opinion, moving away from this is the smartest uh, direction Marvel has taken in the last uh, uh, six, seven years. The Krakoa era is what it is. There is a lot of uh, just flashing red lights, and we'll identify what those flashing red lights were. But uh, as they move away and 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 pick new new teams and a new direction, I am not privy to any of this. I am doing X Men work in 2024. I just did X Men work in uh, in, in 2023. I have always. Uh, had, 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 it feels like uh, a finger, a foot, a, a toe in the X-Men universe. And, and as you listen to this, if you've never, if this is your first time listening to, to me and you have no idea of my resume, quite a bit of my success has been wrapped up in uh, making cool X-Men comics, comics that the audience showed up for in, in droves. And yes, if you are an anti-Liefeld and you listen to this for hate, you're a hate listener. Oh boy, you just prepare to um you, your face is going to uh, get 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 um the, the lemons. You're going to get that lemon face, that sour lemon face. You're going to pucker up. Cuz yes, I am very extremely proud of the success that I had in that X-Men office. Uh th- there are there there's a brotherhood between those of us who who were in these periods of tremendous success success and uh from from New Mutants 86 on through New Mutants 100 Million sales, one cover, one event, transforming New Mutants to X-Force, Cable, Deadpool, Domino, all of these characters, Strife. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a launch pad. It was a blueprint. It, 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 w- it was something that went on for the last 10 years. But, you know, reevaluating an era is something that is, uh, you know, common. Now, I've mentioned it before and here today. I'm just going to give the names. Uh, it was in the early 2000s, and I got a call because uh, the Quemus, Bill Jemis, and Joe Quesada era had taken over. And I got a call from the guys that I was working on at the time because I was doing Wolverine at the time. I was doing Wolverine 154, 155, 156, 157 in the late summer, early fall of 2000. So I got a call from my editors at that time. Now, it was either uh, Mark Powers or his assistant editor, Jason Liebig. But they said, we couldn't believe this. We couldn't believe what we just came from. And they, and they really signaled that there was danger ahead, like danger, Will Robinson, like lost in space, like that robot was flashing, like, like there is danger. Uh, Kassad had asked, according to them, according to them, Kassad had asked for a meeting. He came in with a bunch of 90s comics. He threw them down on the table and he said, so did anything good happen in these books in the last 10 years? And uh, he, he wanted to reshape the X-Men and and reform it in now his new image as the new EIC because you know it's just like in the film in film companies somebody new comes in they sit in the chair 
They don't want to make the other guy's film slate. They want to make their film slate. They want to announce to everybody, this is my taste. These are what I want to do. This is how I would shape this. But the idea that you took a bunch of comics from the 90s, whether that was the, uh, you know, birth of New Mutant, the, the, the rise of the New Mutants to a prominent, to, to outselling the X-Men. Yes, guys, as you hear, hear me say this, New Mutants outsold the X-Men. My New Mutants outsold uh, the X-Men with Claremont, with Jim Lee. Then it transformed into X-Force. I'm not talking X-Force. I'm not talking that five covers trading cards. Uh, and, and, then, and then, of course, X-Men launch becomes the, ne- the best-selling book of all time. X-Men number one, Claremont, Jim Lee. From there, you get all these crazy crossovers. You eventually, in the middle of the decade, get Age of Apocalypse, which, which uh, just, I mean, it exploded in popularity. Joe Matiera. Uh, what, what was kind of at the center of that and, and, and went on to tremendous popularity. Uh, there, were, there were huge spinoffs in that mid, mid-90s era. Uh, Gen X. Scott Lobdell certainly had, had a, a, a strong hand, a strong influence on the books during that time. And, and, and the 90s was just a tremendous uh, uh, period of unprecedented sales success for the X-Men. Onslaught, the Onslaught saga. Again, very X-Men centric. So, so the idea that this would happen is just indicative of the fact that every time someone new comes in, they proclaim that what, what came before wasn't as good as what they have planned. And that's what that phone call was meant to communicate. And, and uh, certainly it did. And, and thank you. Thanks to the Joe Quesada era, we got Igor Corday. Uh, maybe one of the biggest mismatches I've ever seen from concept to, to artists. I think every artist has has a niche that that you get the best out of them when you when you marry them. But I, I do not believe that that era of those comics was was well matched. I don't believe those teams were well matched. I think it was a little bit of patchwork, uh, patchwork kind of putting things together. Uh, this is going back twenty three years now, and I felt like uh, the great start that they had with Grant Morrison. I mean. Right out the gate, it was like, well, this is really hard to argue with it. This is that good. This is really that good. Is it going to connect in the same way that maybe the 90s stuff did? Probably not. But conceptually, what Grant Morrison did with his first few issues with Frank Quietly could not be, and I've mentioned this before, it could not be properly followed up as Frank left or did intermittent random issues. And we as fans never knew who was drawing the next and an artist that apparently was fast, but I do not believe at any given time was a good fit for the X-Men books. And this is a, another red light. Uh, again, John Romita Jr., as a teenager, did not like him on the X-Men. Following Paul Smith, who followed Dave Cockrum, who followed John Byrne, who followed Dave Cockrum, the X-Men had, been, had really uh, made, made its name in comic books as being the premier art book. And Romita Jr., who I had loved on, on Spider-Man just months before, the juggernaut stories, the hobgoblin stuff, now he's drawing the X-Men, and I, I thought it was a bad fit. He's great on Daredevil. He's great on uh, on 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 Spider Man, but I, I just didn't think that he was the right fit for the X Men in, in, in the same ways that in the two thousands to come in and say, "Hey, did anything good happen in these books?" Tongue in cheek, ha ha ha. Well, here's here's my new fix. Well, that led to the Igor Corday era, and 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 I'm going to tell you right now, I think the X Men books have been in trouble for the last two decades. For twenty years, uh, they have been kind of just offshore, bouncing around on the reefs. Okay. Uh, the, the ship hasn't been completely destroyed and it hasn't capsized, but it has been rattled. 
and, and there is a roadmap back. So, so what I'm going to give you today, I'm going to give you what I believe is the solutions, but the solutions are easy if you just remember why this team, why these characters are so beloved. So we're going to get, uh, get, get to that in just a moment, but what really was, was the impetus for so much of this and to finally sit here and just talk about what I believe the positives that should be accentuated in restoring X-Men to their former greatness is it, it, it all started with the release of these X-Men 97 toys. It was San Diego, San Diego Comic-Con 2022 that they announced firm, firm plans that the, uh, the original X-Men 90s animated series was going to be revisited with a continuation. It was going to be called X-Men 97. They showed all the different characters. And of course, I am thrilled Cable's in there. So man, I'm, I'm like, Cable was in the original X-Men series. That original X-Men series... Uh, took the best of both worlds, the, the 70s, 80s, Byrne, uh, uh, Claremont, Cockrum era, and married it with the Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld era of the X-Men. And, and, and you had Cable inserted into Days of Future Past. Um, you, had, you had Apocalypse. You had all these cool elements. You had Gambit, okay? You had, you had the modern, the, the, the Jim Lee era costumed X-Men uh, re-enacting some of the great Chris Claremont, John Byrne classics just updated it. All those people that worked on the X-Men 90s cartoon deserve a bow. I loved it. I have loved it to this day. I, I, I grab them in reruns on Disney Plus as often as I can. I have old cassette tapes. I consume that in the same way that all of us consumed it. I loved it. And at the time, I was in my 20s. I was, you know, uh, when that came out, I was firmly ensconced in Image Comics and producing Youngblood and Brigade and Bloodstrike and all those books. And, and, and my, my X-Men success was in the rearview mirror at the time. But man, I never missed that cartoon. I was a 20... You know, 25-year-old man sitting up with a bowl of cereal, making, making, making sure that Oh my gosh, come on. I know you've like Liefeld, you've lost your mind, but I was I was right there. I was watching that cartoon with you. We loved it. It was the ultimate flex. I think maybe it was the best bellwether of any anything else to tell you what kind of success awaited them in, 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 in live action films. That X-Men animated cartoon was fantastic, super entertaining, and had great source material. It had great source material. But X-Men 97, it's coming. Yeah, awesome, great. Summer 2022, can't get more excited than uh, spring 20, 2023. This last spring, we are told it's going to be delayed. It's not landing at the time that it's going to land. But guess what? Sometimes you start the manufacturing on the licensing and then you move the date and, and the manufacturing, the licensing has already been done. Those, those, those action figures are in containers on ships coming overseas to go into all the stores. And that's what happened with X-Men, 80, X-Men 97. These action figures have hit. And for the last three weeks, they are super mega hot. Now, I said this online. I shared this. Uh, uh, and, and many people were, 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 you know, sympathetic to my same plight. I am old school. I am of the generation that liked to go to the store and grab stuff. My kids, they like to hit their pad, hit their, hit their button and have it delivered. That's food. That's toys. That's games. That's apparel, everything. This is not the shopping generation. This is the sit on the couch, order it, have it delivered. But I like to go to the store. I like to grab it off the rack and take it home with me. It's like my accomplishment. I have Wolverine. I have Magneto. I have them. I'm going to go home. I've accomplished something. This was a goal that I uh, that I set out to accomplish. 
and I got it and I brought it back and it's awesome. Well, that eluded me over multiple targets, multiple Walmarts. And so I was sharing it with the public. And of course, there's always the guy that says, there's plenty here. There's plenty here. Plenty in my area. Okay, I'm going to flip that. When the first new Star Wars uh, toys came out in 2015, uh, summer 2015, in in the buildup, the first toy released in the buildup to get to get excitement brewing for the eventual Christmas release, you know, The Force Awakens, I happened to have been in Houston that weekend and in a Target, and they were flush with all of the Star Wars toys, and they had had the 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 Thursday night release of those toys just you know the night before. I bought boxes of them because I had heard back home there was none of them. And so I brought them back to the hotel room. Of course, I, I uh, stuffed them in a brand new suitcase and took them home with me. But I showed pictures online when I did that. And a couple of my friends back here said, way to rub it in our face, man. There's none of here. There's none out here in Southern California. There's none out here in Arizona, my friends would say. Well, I had just hit the mother load. I had hit, hit the sweet spot here in, in Houston, Texas. And it's funny, the guy that told me when I said how hard these were to get, he said, there's plenty here in Texas. <laughs> and it made me think maybe it's that maybe it's that exact same target that I was at when it was flush with Star Wars toys and all my California friends were like, I don't want to hear that. We can't find any. The, the stocks are cleaned out here. The, the, the aisles, uh, the, the stock and the aisles are cleaned out here. Look, I went to multiple targets and multiple, multiple Walmarts looking for these X-Men uh, 97 GameStops. And then I finally went to the grand collectible mecca of Southern California called Frank and Sons in City of Industry. I went early Saturday morning, and that is a megalopolis. Okay, let's just say megalopolis. A mega. <laughs> let me say it one more time. A megalopolis. Okay, a Liefeld made up, semi made up word of com of of comics and toys and collectibles. And and one thing they have more than anything, they have more than comics is toys. There are so many toy vendors. And I struck out, 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 and struck out on X-Men 97. Like, this was, wow, this just really doubled down on the fact that these are hard to get. Toys, based on a cartoon that's delayed, uh, that, that is delayed till 2024. Toys that were already in route and Hasbro said, let's just release them, have become snatched up by an eager X-Men fan base, a, 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 a fan base that loves this stuff. No media, no movie, no cartoon. The idea that, yeah, it's coming down the line, but we haven't even gotten a trailer for X-Men 97 yet. And these toys are red hot. That tells you the absolute bedrock of success and popularity that the X-Men represent for the entire uh, Marvel Enterprise MCU, cartoons, and, 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 and most importantly, where they became a sensation in the first place in publishing. So we can all admit the X-Men, there is some juice in that tank. There is some serious juice. But again, what is the version that they're going at? Is this the Igor Corday era X-Men? No. Is it the mid-2000s era that I can't even really kind of envision? Um, no. And you know what? There were, there were representatives of the Krakoa era. Uh, meantime, Major X that people clamor for regularly. That, that he, he can't buy himself an action figure. That thing would sell out faster than you can say uh, uh, Jesse Falcon. So the thing is, uh, I'm telling you right now, the X-Men, the 97 X-Men, the 90s X-Men has super, super, you know, rocket fuel in it. But the X-Men concept, do you realize this? When they became number one uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, they never looked back. And for over a decade, maybe 15 years, they were the number one 
concept each and every year. That means 10 months out of 12, they were maybe Batman knocked them up for a month, but, 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 you know, 10 months out of 12, the X-Men were the top franchise. They were the top spinoff. Marvel learned, oh my gosh, we, we, we can actually make this book bi-weekly. We can, we can up, up, upgrade its, its frequency. Okay. Um, we can really, you know, just continue to expand and, and we can, we can do spinoffs in miniseries. And they all sold because they all connected because people love the X-Men. They love the world of the X-Men. And the X-Men were the prime focus of Marvel until they needed to shift the focus to the Avengers because the Avengers needed to be hot. They needed to show in the books that it's the Avengers that everybody wants. That's why Wolverine and Spider-Man suddenly became Avengers members in 2004, 2005. The new Avengers was meant to cook the books and 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 make it like, uh, hey, everybody, look, the Avengers has eclipsed the X-Men. No, the Avengers now has the most popular X-Men on the roster for the first time ever, and he's with Marvel's breakout number one character, Spider-Man, who wasn't exactly an Avenger before. So the all of the shift went into the Avengers, and we're going to come back and revisit that because it did shift priorities and shift talent and shift things away, and we are here to talk about the road back for the X-Men. And you know what? At the end of this, I'm going to tell you, I'm even going to be so bold as to tell you what I think, what I think should be done. But again, I have no knowledge. I'm, I'm doing some X-Men stuff next year. I'm excited about you interacting with my X-Men stuff. <clears throat> but, uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm thrilled that I have created pillars of the X-Men universe. Uh, I, I just got my box set. My, my, my Strife and Zero and the X-Men villains and, and I got my Deadpool and Hydra two-pack and uh, there's always action figures. They're, 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 my, my, my office is surrounded by them. If you've ever been uh, with me on a, on a whatnot live stream uh, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm sharing my stuff, you, you guys have seen my shelves and, and you comment on them, uh, how much stuff. Yeah, I, I have all of it. If, if it was produced, if it was made, if it was a cable figure, a Shatterstar figure, a Domino, a Strife, a Deadpool, a Lady Deadpool, a dog pool, a kid pool, I have it. If it's blue, if it's gray, I got it. Um, I love this stuff. It is one of my great you know, pride and joys to have been part of the X-Men uh, family and the success of the X-Men family. And that's why, here's the deal. As the X-Men prepare for this next era, I am going to share with you right now the most important aspects of getting the X-Men back to the top, back on track, back to the top shelf. The Krakoa era, you know, uh, it had promise, but but when I asked on my live stream and when I've asked you guys on, on, on uh, social media, when I've asked you if your comic book purchasing is down, some of you, the, the other night on live stream, you, you guys told me it was down as much as 60%. When I asked which books you weren't buying, you said X-Men. Oh my gosh, it broke my heart. You, you said you were no longer buying X-Men books. And I'm part of all manner of different X-Men groups. I'm, I go into groups and I hang out where people don't like me. Um, and, and, and because I just want to get truth. I want to, you know, see what people are digging. So I'm in an X-Men group that has over 100,000 people on it. And they don't, some of them are, are they're so courageous. They, they, they tell me how much they despise my time in the X-Men. Great, fine. You know, I can't change your mind. I'm not here to change your mind. I'm just here to follow some cool X-Men threads. But along the way, you see what they like, you see what they don't like. And the Krakoa era has a niche. It has a niche. They think this flowers and foliage era of uh, the, the, the X-Men, the flowers and foliage era that is Krakoa, 
It is their favorite. They love the poetry, the dancing. They love the gowns, the gala. Um, yeah, none of that. I, I, n- all of that needs to go away, I- in my opinion, in my humble opinion. Uh, you know how you go to those people's Twitter's account and they're, they're like from Marvel or DC or 20th Century Fox and they're like, uh, opinions that are expressed are my own. So, so <laughs> opinions that are expressed here are my own, okay? Uh, we're going to start with the number one kind of, uh, I'm going to put a big no duh next to it. The number one no duh uh, aspect as we go down our list. The X-Men are outcasts. Yes, they are outcasts, okay? I've gone back to the, the, uh, the, 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 the top header that was, that was at the top of the X-Men books for years. And it said, hunted and feared by those they've sworn to protect. That's it. That's the sentence. That's the gist, okay? That era created the greatest era of X-Men comics. And I'm going to go outside of, obviously, the John Byrne stuff and the Cockrum stuff and the Paul Smith stuff. Go to the Silvestri stuff. Go to the Jim Lee stuff, the Wills Potasio stuff. This was the theme that, that, that was always front and center for the X-Men. They were not gods. They were not your new gods. They were not terraforming, plant, terraforming planets. I swear to you, when I saw that they were terraforming forming planet, good God, can I not say this word? When, when I saw that they were terraforming planets and Storm was working with Magneto and others to, to create a... I'm like, what? what? The X-Men are going to have a planet? No, that's not the concept. You guys, come on. Like, I get it. Like, you, you really bought all into this, but that is not the path that these characters traditionally followed to prominence, to greatness, to, to beloved status. They did not lord over the rest of us. They did not um, um, share with us their superiority. When I saw early on in the Krakoa era, and it was really nicely drawn by Lanil Yu, who, is, who is, definitely fits the bill for one of the points that I'm coming up with. When I saw that Apocalypse, no, 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 let me, let me <laughs> when I saw that Xavier and in his giant Cerebro helmet and, and Magneto, because they're pals now, um, and Cyclops, and then, you know, their eternal enemy, Apocalypse. When I saw that they were all seated together, seated together, uh, in order to, uh, In order to determine and negotiate with mankind in the terms of their their treaty uh, with with the rest of mankind, I'm like, oh man, we we have uh, we have gotten way 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 away. They are seated at a table with other world leaders with other world leaders negotiating terms. Um, okay, so here's the deal. You know, the X Men when when they everyone's like, oh, which era are they going to do in the MCU? Let's hope they do the relatable era. Let's hope they do the era that is the most relatable to audiences. You know why we love Die Hard? Because we think of ourselves as John McClane. He's barefoot. He's got his wife beater on, his tank top. That's what they call the wife beater. Uh, uh, you guys know what that means. My, my kids even, my, my, you know, come on. Uh, got blood dripping on it. He's got slacks. He's barefoot. He's only got one pistol. He's up against a, 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 a bunch of terrorists, quote unquote. You know, uh, in, in, in the tower, we relate to him because he is downtrodden. In the original First Blood, uh, John Rambo is terribly abused, insulted, harmed by, by uh, 
corrupt authority figures. And so we are right there with him when he turns the tables and goes on the run and warns them, don't come after me or I will damage you. And he does. Uh, Rocky is the ultimate, another Stallone, obviously, uh, franchise. And, and definitely check that incredible documentary out on Netflix right now. It's fantastic. But Rocky is the underdog story. We can relate to that. People tell us we can't do it all the time. Everyone told me I couldn't get a job in comic books. Probably some of you who work in comics were told the same thing. Uh, the X-Men overcome obstacles. The X-Men uh, overcome the, the, the dire circumstances that surround them. And that makes them relatable. When, when they were embarrassed about their powers or their visual appearance, they were every nerdy kid with a face full of zits. Hello, hi, raising my hand. Every squeamish kid who didn't want to, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, reveal that he, he liked comic books and nerdy stuff. Uh, otherwise, the bullies were going to beat him up. He was every member of the gay community that was scared to come out of the closet in the 70s and the 80s, maybe even now. Even though we are so much more advanced and open um, and, 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 and more about love than any other time. But these are the themes of relatability, relatability that the X-Men had. And being uh, superior and, 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 uh, and part of the ruling class is so far and away from the, the, the era of, 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 of success that the X-Men enjoyed. It, it is it is. They're not relatable when they are ruling over mankind and terraforming planets. At that point, they're not the X-Men. A, a ruling class. Again, I, I shared with you that the, the, the author of, of this entire Krakoa era, Mr. Jonathan Hickman, in his original proposal to DC Comics, uh, he, was, he was going to do the Legion of Superheroes and he was going to do the New Gods. And that's what he wanted to do at DC. I was sitting on a flight home with Jim Lee, 20 uh, 2018 from, uh, uh, it was, it was in Canada. Help me, help me, help me. It was, uh, it was not Vancouver. <laughs> uh, oh man, it was, it was Calgary. Yes. The fan expo Calgary, Jim and I were sitting on the plane on the way home and he had expressed how, uh, Dan DiDio was desperately trying to secure Hickman to do Legion and New Gods. And of course, then later the frustration when he decided to go and do the X-Men for Marvel. Well, when he says at the end of House of X number one, we are your new gods now. The X-Men have never been the new gods. Yes, they have powers. Yes, they can be ter- terrifying with those powers. Uh, cut to Jean Grey, Phoenix, Dark Phoenix. Uh, but becoming the ruling class is not relatable. They are outcasts. And even if they're not like, I'm not, I don't mean outcast, like squeamishly in the shadows, like, like scared to be seen. No, they, they are concealing who they are amongst us so that we will not judge them. And they just want to, and, 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 and Xavier said, hey, we are to use our special abilities to protect the downtrodden, even if they don't understand us. And that was so relatable because that was also uh, professing discipline and, and it was teaching a principle. To, to a group of people that needed it, who could fly off the handle. Wolverine had to control his berserker rage. He couldn't just be a killing machine. Xavier's like, no, that's not okay. You have to do this. And, 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 and he gave confidence you know, to Kurt Wagner, to, 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 to Nightcrawler, and also to not punish those who have judged him and think he, that he's a demon, an elf. 
he, 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 Xavier taught understanding, compassion, discipline, especially in light of the evil mutants, those who had powers, who sought to abuse them and use them for selfish purposes, like Magneto, like the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, like every evil mutant that they would bother, that they would bother, <laughs> that they would battle. <laughs> You're a bother. No, that they would battle. The, this is the most fundamental theme. That's why I'm just pounding it home. They are outcasts. That is the ticket. To be relatable, you're not gods, okay? That they were always struggling to find their way under all manner of diverse leadership. Even if if uh, if Xavier went back, went down, then Cyclops struggled to to you know fully embrace that role. He was insecure. Am I even as good as Charles Xavier? Uh, they did not depict themselves as saviors or rulers. Uh, so they are outcasts. And that is the entire hunted and feared by those they've sworn to protect. Those they've sworn to protect. Now that doesn't mean, obviously, that there are going to be people all along the way that try to oppress them because that is the brilliance of it. The X-Men were hunted by the rich. Rich mutants. Sebastian Shaw, his Hellfire Club. They were hunted by politicians. Okay? Uh, Senators seeking to uh, instigate litigation. The mutant, you know, uh, registration act. What a threat! The entire premise of 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 of, uh, of days of future past and 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 the the steps put in motion that doomed mutant kind. They are always up against some manner of oppression, and then of course the government, military that is terrified by them. And so again, Xavier, whether it's his school, w- whether it's uh, the outback. Of Australia, where they hid out for years during those incredible, beautifully illustrated Mark Silvestri issues, the Mark Silvestri era of X Men. They have been outcasts. Uh, They have battled against those who would oppress mankind, who would oppress, uh, you know, humanity. But in the Krakoa era, they decided, well, we're now going to be immortal. We're going to come out of magic pools of, 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 uh, of, you know, restorative, regenerative, regenerative <laughs> magic waters. Okay. I just, it just lost me. The whole era, it exists. If you love it, great. Again, like I said, some prominent people are like, this is the best era ever. And I'm like, okay, so you didn't read all the good stuff. I mean, the, 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 the great, great, uh, you know, lauded, critically acclaimed. Again, there's a reason people are still trying to make the Dark Phoenix saga because it's that good. It's that perfect. That is a perfect saga. Uh, the, the, the Magneto battles of that era. Even that Claremont Lee era with the Acolytes and the Asteroid, because man, when they introduced the Asteroid back in the John Byrne, uh, 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 Chris Claremont era, and that he was looming above us, Magneto, I mean, this threat. Oh, I always wanted to do the story where they fly up and take him on. Um, and the continuation of that, the, the, the actual idea that that happened when, when Jim Lee was on the book, that was exciting. Magneto was terrifying. He had become uh, a, a real. Uh, they had restored him back to b- basically kind of a sinister mad, uh, a sinister madman. But whether it was Apocalypse, who is a conqueror, and and I'm not sure that there is a conqueror that we frame in a, in a in a in a uh, favorable light. So conqueror, a destroyer, 
These are the people that they, that they battle against who wish to stomp out what is good. And it's just, it's just basic good and evil. Xavier was trying to serve the greater good. And Magneto wanted to have everything his own selfish way. Obviously, Apocalypse is a uh, is an oppressor, a conqueror. Strife is a terrorist. He had a mutant liberation front terrorist group. Uh, that, that 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 you know that was the the backdrop when we, when I introduced uh, Cable to you. So so and again, when Cable came in, it was an era between Xavier and Magneto that was meant to represent a more macho aggressive male point of view something that was really in in the zeitgeist of the times you know late 80s you got super muscular schwarzenegger with super muscular stallone super muscular jean-claude van damme i mean it was the age of the super muscular action hero before we got down to the skinny guys with the leather uh coats like we did in matrix and then um um tom cruise in in, in mission impossible it was the era of the super muscular uh, tank top, maybe shirtless. Uh, so, so, so that element had had its place. There, there was a room. There was room to to stick that and wedge that into the X Men universe, and that's what Cable represented, which was a different point of view because he stood toe to toe with Magneto and Xavier at the time and said, "You're wrong, and you're wrong. My way is the way to go." And of course, none of them could agree. Xavier thought his way was the was the way. The Cable said, "No, my way is the way." He said to these new mutants, to those kids. This is time to gird yourself. This is this is the time to stiffen. You know, this isn't the time of bird brain anymore. This isn't the time of wacky package new mutants goofy adventures. You, there's a war coming and you got to get ready. And in the meantime Magneto is like, I think we just we should just wipe all these people out. Get them out of the way. All of them operating from X-Men hidden away from humanity operating in humanity's best interest. That my friends was regularly communicated on the x-men uh show and if this comes off as a, as a bit of a tough talk for people in the building hey x-men the cartoon never works if it's the krakoa era can you imagine hey kids get your cereal let's watch let's watch the x-men on their planet rule over mankind and from their mystery island as they never ever do anything but just keep coming back to life and oh that cool time travel story that was actually from a different author yeah can't touch that okay Come on, let's put this thing in the rearview mirror and let's focus on on what's coming. And first, foremost, always outline, underline, they are outcasts. So let's cue up number two. What is the number two thing that I would keep in mind when restoring the X-Men? Hey, mystery matters. Mystery matters. The unfolding of all the various mysteries is is what drew me closer to to the X-Men than any other than any other concept comic book during its time. Where was Wolverine from? How old was he? Is he immortal? What was behind that program that created him in the first place? Why does Canada want him back? What's the deal with his friendship with James Hudson? Oh my gosh, now he's falling in love with Mariko, and we'll get to Mariko in a minute, uh, in another point. And, uh, you know, the secrets behind... Okay, so he has a healing factor. How'd they get that adamantium on those bones in the first place? Tons of unanswered mysteries that carried our interest for years and years. The, the, the mystery around Storm, her upbringing, a thief in Baghdad. Uh, we, we got a glimpse of it when she used her skills 
to escape from Magneto's clutches when he held them at the bottom of a volcano and, uh, and had them enslaved, uh, just completely incapacitated, served by an android nanny. I did an entire uh, episode, a Rob Topsy, uh, of X-Men during 1978, and it is the year that like, X-Men catapulted itself to the forefront with so many, including myself, uh, cr- just crazed fans during that time. But that was a real curveball. Suddenly, Wild Storm escapes and shows us that the, that she has tools and pins and and you know uh, pins that act as as uh, as as keys that can unlock you know traps. She's got those all in the interior of her helmet, and they didn't remove that helmet. So when she she not helmet her 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 headpiece when she, were, she when she drops her headpiece into her lap and she tries to with her tongue lift those pins off and get, get set about unlocking i mean in the backdrop you know it talked about her her upbringing and then later on to know that xavier is walking those same streets of baghdad during a time where she was a pickpocket as a kid those mysteries gambit had mysteries he was part of some league of thieves or some thieves guild excuse me if i don't know what exact i'm i'm not nailing it exactly but the the past loves the the people that he left behind that that don't you know wish him well now that they they serve ill ill suited purposes that threaten him uh mystery matters it drove the x men it continued uh to drive the x men you know in the original 2000 movie they wisely made Wolverine our our audience surrogate because we got to see everything through his eyes even though he was a man of mystery and he didn't know you know where he belonged but now he met this incredible mysterious you know mysterious secret society of mutants people just like him that he could hang with and 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 you know battle those people who who sought to harm him uh when it comes to mysteries nobody did it better than the x-men we saw how xavier and magneto battled against uh the nazis in in world war ii when they were much younger in a really great uh chris claremont dave cockrum uh flashback episode you know mystery matters the mysteries you guys strife no one saw what was coming in new new mutants 100 i have people like jeff johns and robert kirkman who have told me that moment and fans all over the world have told me what new mutants 100 did to them that, that it was unnerving to them strife who had existed in the book since 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 issue 87 13 issues later unmasked himself to be and what, what appeared to be an older version with long hair of cable what mystery who is cable where did he come from that's how i sold him to marvel when i pitched him because i was raised on wolverine and i need to have something as good as wolverine when deadpool was introduced mystery what by by x-force number two because again some of these genius reporters have have not done their homework in x-force number two garrison kane establishes that he is the new weapon x coming from the program and has a familiarity with deadpool who also came from the program that is 1991 i am trying to build mystery with each and every character shatterstar how did he make it here Where, where where was he purged from Mystery matters when it comes to the X-Men, whether it's Gambit, whether it's Cable, whether it's Wolverine, whether it's Magneto. The, the, the mysteries are what carry us. They are what uh, slowly reveal, you know, little tidbits of information. And because in that time, we create our own theories. Let me tell you something. The best, the literally 
best filmed entertainment I've seen in the last decade, and it's coming up on exactly a decade, is the original True Detective with Matthew McConaughey and, and Woody Harrelson. And the mystery, they had to actually tone down uh, in the weeks before the conclusion and say, hey, 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 people, you guys have gotten carried away. The mystery of the Yellow King. Who is the Yellow King? People literally thought the Cthulhu was going to come through a portal and battle our, our heroes. That there was some otherworldly mystical shit. Was there a cult? Was there worship? Was there um, so, so, some next level kind of uh, existential shit going on? Yes, there was, but it, it, they had to really you know, uh, uh, lower expectations because our, our, our mysteries, Joy and I, my wife, we would go out to dinner and we would talk true detective the whole time. What do you think it is? What do you think it is? What do you think it is? Well, I think it's this, what do you think it is? I think it's this mysteries can drive our excitement. And, and that is the last like great, wow, mystery that just blew my mind. I, that, that first season of True Detective is 1000% perfect. It is perfectly written, perfectly directed, perfectly performed. And there are lots of twists and turns. There's a time jump. Okay. Days of future past. Whoa. Whoa. I mean, you got this, this, you open up and they're in the future. The, the mutants are enslaved. There's a different alternate timeline that they, they want to avoid. Kitty comes back in the past. We've only met Kitty Pride for a few issues, and now we are meeting her 40-year-old version of herself, her adult self, and she's coming back to warn the X-Men, embody her young body, uh, her young self, and uh, mentally, you know, take take control of that body and communicate to the X-Men what's coming, and introduces the brand new Brotherhood of Evil, Evil Mutants, and then at the end of the story, did they really avert what was coming? Did they really change the events? And, and you immediately see maybe they didn't. That's a mystery. What's to come? Did, what of what we have just seen is still to come? What glimpse of this is still going to endanger us? Mystery matters. It's simple. It's, it's been proven with all of these characters. There's not, a, there's not a single character that I didn't tell you about a mystery that isn't a fan favorite. Okay? All of those characters have, uh, have been fan favorites and, and, and huge successes. And they were driven completely by mystery. So, so point number one, they're outcasts. That's what the X-Men are. They're outcasts. Point number two, mystery matters. Point number three, and this is going to be a little bit of a detour for some of you, but I'm going to tell you right now, it, it, it is absolutely essential. Number three, the X-Men reflect the very best of pop culture. What the hell does that mean? The X-Men reflect the very best of pop culture. As the X-Men built and built and built and became the giant beloved group of characters and comic books, and yes, I hate the word franchise, uh, it was it was on the back of them incorporating anything and everything that we were celebrating in other aspects of the culture. Case and point number one. I mentioned this often. There's a dedicated uh, year number one of the Rob Observations podcast about Wolverine from 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 page to screen. And how Frank Miller and 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 uh, Chris Claremont brought so much of the aspects of Shogun to life recently in the 1980 episodes, part one and part two. We talked about Shogun, James Clavell's giant bestseller, came to screen and dominated. One in three screens in the United States were watching Shogun the week that it aired. Uh, restaurants were emptied, uh, uh, theaters were emptied because people were glued to watching this a, 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 a examination of of Eastern culture, East versus West, in the biggest class. But that book. That book, Shogun, was a bestseller in 1975. And the romantic interest, the forbidden love interest to the lead that Richard Chamberlain plays in, in, in Embodies in the miniseries, 
you know, Blackthorn. Pilot Blackthorn, okay? He was the pilot on the ship. They called him Blackthorn. And they called him Ajin. Uh, that, that was his Japanese name that they gave him because they couldn't pronounce Blackthorn. But uh, his love interest was called Mariko. Mariko, M-A-R-I-K-O. And it was forbidden love. She was promised to another, married to another. And, and, and when Richard Chamberlain finds out, it shatters him because he's in love with her. They've offered him other women along the way, but he's in love with her. Well, guess what? Mariko, Mariko comes to the X-Men and becomes Wolverine's forbidden Love in 1978, three years after Shogun is a best-selling book. Chris Claremont, you cannot for one minute convince me that he was not, especially given the Wolverine uh, miniseries with Frank Miller, so reflects the outsider aspect, uh, the, unwelcome, the unwelcoming aspect, the gaijin that Wolverine was is exactly what Blackthorn is for the majority of the Shogun story and miniseries. So, so Claremont or John Byrne would read a book they would, they would consume something that was popular, that was the top of the charts, and they would implement it into the book immediately. The, the, the John Byrne's last issue, 143, Kitty Pride is battling an alien that looks like it walked right out of one year earlier's Alien by Ridley Scott starring Sigourney Weaver. The, the alien that Kitty was, was, was escaping from greatly resembled the xenomorph from the 1979 ridley scott sigourney weaver uh, alien movie now you're like no 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 but that that alien had appeared earlier in a dave cockrum issue yes truth be told but now it looked a lot more like a xenomorph and they played off the same aspects of it creeping around stalking kitty as if we were watching 1979's alien movie it absolutely was a complete departure to the demonic beasts that, 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 were, that it was originally uh, 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 introduced as. It very much moved like a xenomorph and moved like alien. This is what I am talking about. They would incorporate this into the comics immediately. In the very beginning of X-Men 143, they do a, a recap of that X-Men 96 that features those aliens that I'm, that I'm telling you about they're, uh, that Dave Cockrum depicted, and they're called the N apostrophe Nagari, the Nagari, uh, N apostrophe G-A-R-I, and they're these aliens from another dimension that were opened in this portal through this kind of uh, ceremonial uh, remnant, and they do a recap of that at the top of 143, and then they uh, have a... Have a they, they, they show Storm flying away, and then, and then it says, uh, an evil that Xavier long thought was dormant, uh, you know, that, that he thought wouldn't revisit them again, has arrived. He was wrong. Okay, so now this very uh, different-looking member of this Nagari d- demonic uh, creature, these creatures, they now look like xenomorphs, and they battle Kitty in, an, in a face-off that very much resembles Ripley and the xenomorph in 1979 in in days of future past the opening when wolverine takes out these gang guys they look like a member members of the gang in uh in in the warriors the 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 film uh the the film the warriors which was was a blast and and was a really uh not a giant hit but a but certainly people in in the genre they saw it they loved it uh they talked about it it was it was on the cultural radar the, the Warriors directed by Walter Hill was, again, uh, 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 a buzzy 
movie at the time and especially the visuals of that movie and suddenly there are dudes dressed like indians wearing vests and i'm like i just saw that in a movie uh but it was immediately incorporated uh in, in, into this uh into this version of the x-men in the future that i'm watching these these gang members uh look burn and claremont were very much reflectors i was in the office up at up at marvel right when i was doing the new mutants early on I was in Bob Harris's office. He was the editor of all the X-Men titles. And Chris Claremont came in. It was a end of the day on a Friday. And I kid you not, G- Chris Claremont stepped onto the leather couch. And from the leather couch, stepped onto the filing cabinet. It was a three-shelf filing cabinet. And, he, and he, um, he immediately kind of goes into a squat position, like a yoga legs. I can... And, and, and I'm sitting there and Bob goes, don't worry, he does this all the time. And Chris said, I want to talk to you about a new character for the X-Men He's named Gambit. I want, I want to develop this new character named Gambit. And, and, and he said, I'm basing him on John Malkovich's character, Valmon, from Dangerous Liaisons. I've just come from Dangerous Liaisons and, and I want to do a character from the French Quarter, French kind of a, someone who is uh, dangerous and, and, and really model him. And, and I remember because when... I eventually saw Gambit. I didn't necessarily see those different aspects, but I was sitting there on that leather couch when Chris Claremont invokes the influence that he was having for the character that he wanted to introduce in the X-Men. The X-Men reflect the best of pop culture. Do you not think that James Cameron is my spiritual animal? I mean, my spirit, (laughs) I think I'll get canceled for saying that now. I don't think we can say that, but my inspiration, I told James Cameron, come on. And he's like, I know. When I said, I know, he said, I know. Look, $6 million man influenced the Terminator. Those two things, I've told Lee Majors the same. But without the $6 million man and without the Terminator, you do not get to cable. The huge visual uh, impact. And yet I knew I had to take it a little further and just couldn't have a, a, a you know, cyborg. It had to be something more. He had to be something w- way more than that. And, uh, but, but we all, we all wear our, you know, influences on our sleeves. Perhaps Stephen King. And, 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 and many of his novels, Firestarter, Carrie, uh, were, 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 were influential in regards to Dark Phoenix. The Hellfire Club and the Black Queen are based on, the, there was a British TV show called The Avengers, okay? Look it up, British TV show, before there was a film, Cinematic Avengers. There was a cinematic version of that with Uma Thurman that, that did not do well. I think it's 1998. They tried to bring that TV show to life before there was even you know, the, the Marvel Avengers, there was a British, a popular, it was, it was, it was shown in, in, uh, in reruns over here. And, uh, the, 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 they based, uh, John Byrne based the visual look of, of black queen from the way that the lead in the Avengers, the female lead, she was a spy named Emma Peel looked in an episode of the Avengers. It's, it's right on. If you split them, split screen them, he, he absolutely, he watched that growing up. He loved it. That, that was a very provocative image of, of Emma Peel dressed in this kind of Victorian corset and her hair done in this exact same way. He depicts that, puts that into the Avengers. The Avengers was a, was a popular uh, show in the 60s and was popular in reruns when I was growing up. And the character of Jason Wingard is also based on, on, a, on an actor and, and a character. I mean, these guys wore their influences on their sleeve. When the Canadians come to show, to show up to take the X-Men, I'm sorry, to take Wolverine, when, when he's called Vindicator, no, no, he's called, I think, uh, Weapon Alpha. Before he's Vindicator, then he's Guardian, 
James Hudson shows up to reclaim Wolverine. Uh, is, it, is it X-Men 108? Great cover. Giant shot of Vindicator Guardian blasting at, uh, at Wolverine. And the Canadian agents in the tech support in the truck uh, nearby, they are all wearing the same kind of long domed helmets that the guys on the Death Star are, you know, and, 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 they're, and, and, and similar to some of the helmets that you see the rebels wearing on Yavin. So, so, and then the tech that John Byrne immediately introduces uh, when he is doing the, 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 the Shi'ar and, and, and all of their techs and their ships is, is, is 100% based on the stuff that he walked out of Star Wars seeing. The X-Men is always reflecting the best of pop culture. Rob, what does that mean? It means it's fluid. It means it is always of the now. They don't get left behind. They reflect the best of what we love and what we're doing. And they always have. They always have. I just gave you uh, Shogun, Star Wars, Alien, The the Warriors, The Avengers TV show, uh, James Cameron's tremendous influence on me with, with, uh, with, with, with the Terminator series. You guys, the X-Men franchise has always reflected the very best of what pop culture almost immediately. And again, uh, just reflecting the, uh, the, the popular trends. They are immediately implemented. And then you know what happens? The X-Men become a trend that somebody else follows. It is a machine. Is it a cycle? Uh, is it something you absolutely need to follow? Uh, you don't have to, but I would recommend that you do. And, and, and I don't know what is around the corner or what's happening right now that should be reflected, but it always has. And when it's successful, it does. So that is point number three. Point number four, great action sequences. Yes, the X-Men is known for some of the greatest action sequences in the history of comics. Each and every run has had some killer action. The, the, the people, the creatives behind it know that you want to see incredible conflicts. Think of Barry Windsor Smith drawing Wolverine battling Lady Deathstrike. Think of Paul Smith drawing Wolverine battling Shogun. Think of uh, Frank Miller drawing Wolverine battling Mariko's father. Think of Wolverine battling the Wendigo in X-Men 139 and 140. Think of the fastball special. The X-Men have their own signature X-Men style, a a stylistic move that was born in the pages of the X-Men with Colossus throwing Wolverine. The X-Men has always had these incredible action sequences. Uh, When when, when, when Darth Dark Phoenix, you know, battles Magneto at the and Magneto sees, oh my gosh, Jean Grey is way more powerful than than she has any business being. Um, th- this this incredible X Men series has always had great action sequences. Think of uh, when Jim Lee drew Wolverine battling Archangel in the Extinction uh, Extinction Agenda. Think of. Uh, Mark Sylvester, Alan Davis, Wolverine versus Sabretooth. I mean, these incredible isolated battles when Storm takes down Callista. Oh my gosh, one of the greatest fights ever, the Morlocks. And Storm does single combat with the leader of the Morlocks, Callista. And it is hand-to-hand, knife-to-knife, the cover. They are both up close, you know, in each other's grill, uh, wrestling for control. The X-Men is the franchise of action. Uh, 
every, like literally each and every one of the books and the success that they have enjoyed have depicted. I mean, look, look at all those sequences that I just rattled off the top of my head, literally rattled off the top of my head. And I know that I am missing a whole, a whole bunch of them. When Alpha Flight showed up, all of them to battle X-Men after they had um, once again subdued Wolverine and the X-Men in Calgary arrived to battle them as a kid. Oh my gosh, Sasquatch versus Colossus, you know, Shaman versus uh, versus Storm. It was ridiculously compelling. It has always uh, had some of the very best action. And, and I mean, I, again, as we just go on and on and on, no matter who the artists were, there was a great, a signature killer action sequence that just blew you away that you identified with the X-Men franchise first and foremost. And, and they need to get back to that. They need, they need to have these fights that you go, oh my gosh, the consequences of all of these, the, 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 these, these elements that our heroes are up against and then the final conflict and this killer you know, action sequence, hand-to-hand combat, whatever, power versus power. But it is, uh, it is just a staple of this franchise and they need to get back to it. Holy crap, those ones I did from the beginning. I mean, uh, Lady Deathstrike versus Wolverine via Barry Windsor Smith. I mean, I, I, I got my comic from the comic store, went to the car and just poured over it. Callista versus Storm, again, couldn't put it down. Uh, the fastball special, like, li- just blew my mind. Uh, Frank Miller and Paul Smith, uh, both of their sequences, given the, the, the Eastern chapters, when they were over in Japan battling, whether it was Silver Samurai or Mariko's father, these are just killer, killer um, signature action sequences in the X-Men. You need to get back to it, and that's all I have to say about that. So we have, they are outcasts, number one. Okay, number two, mystery matters. Number three, the X-Men always reflects the very best of pop culture. Number four is signature action sequences big action sequences come on we've gotten away from that we need to get back to that this and here's the deal what happened in the 2000s is that quemus regime they got in all these writers and they did decompressed storyline and it it encouraged the writers and they would openly talk about it all these guys who wanted to prove to you that they were the next david mamet or the next quentin tarantino or the next paul thomas anderson and they wanted to give long speeches and show you how wonderfully verbose they could be and what had happened is they slowed all the storytelling down and they got away from focusing on action and 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 comics is about movement and the x-men has always been about movement not big speeches not a bunch of characters sitting around a table negotiating the terms of humanity that is that is way far off of what made the x-men amazing and a shot of storm with a tilted camera angle it's a nice dramatic angle but of her swirling you know elements around terraforming a planet is also not the dish that we want to be served so big action sequences. We're, we're, we're almost done here. We are winding it down. We have, I think, two more points. Okay. <laughs> two, two more points to get to. And, uh, and the easiest is number five. The X-Men always had the very best and brightest artists as, 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 as its showcase. You bought the X-Men knowing you were getting the best and brightest. Again, the only ill fit I ever you know that 80 1984 to 1986 87 was rough with Ramita Jr. I didn't feel like I was getting the best or even uh you know favorable comparisons of Wolverine of Storm uh competent storyteller uh, uh but but better suited on solo heroes 
in in like you know city settings like ground level what i call ground level heroes that's my opinion right now i think spider-man is research is is in a is in a resurgence i think it's it's marvel's very best family but it is because you know ramita jr is back on it doing what he does best honing he is really good at spider-man and it shows but but other than that period whether it was the amazing early dave cockrum run whether it was the transformational next level futuristic looking i mean so clean clean and crisp and and just incredibly beautifully rendered and imagined john byrne era to the return of dave cockrum who who who, uh just that that is an unheralded uh second run leading into the like just blew our minds uh animated Every, everything looked like an animated cell. Uh, Paul Smith just, just blew everybody away. Mark Silvestri, Alan Davis, Rick Leonardi, Art Adams, Jim Lee, Wills Portacio. The X-Men had the very best that the business, the industry had to offer. Okay? And we have to get back to that. That The book should be the showcase for the very best of all the artists in the comic book industry, all the best artists working for Marvel. They should be drawing X-Men books. Period. End of story. For that, for a time being, again, when the Avengers was suddenly the new kind of focus of the company because they needed to raise money and show you that Captain America, Iron Man, Thor was legit and and they could chart high and the Avengers was a worthwhile endeavor. And what better way than to throw that in front of a bunch of investors and say, look, at Iron Man's number one. We're not going to, I mean, Avengers is number one. Avengers is number one. We're not, we're not going to tell you that we did that with Wolverine and Spider-Man, but it, it, it's because it's called Avengers. And for a, a, a period of time, the, the Dave Finches, all the really... Um, great artists at Marvel were were rerouted and 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 made sure that their, that their work landed on the Avengers title, much to the detriment of what was going on uh, with the X Men. Now, yes, did Dave Finch come into a few chapters for some important crossovers? Uh, look, they tried their best, but they need to get back to the very best artists draw the X Men. That is why the X Men was on top for as, as long as it was. The stories were great, but they were great because they look great. Even in the outback of Australia, they looked fantastic with Mark Silvestri at the helm, with Art Adams drawing the Asgardian Wars. I saw other artists draw the X Men in Asgard. It didn't look as good. Okay, um, you know, uh, uh, it, art matters. The, the visual, uh, you know, the pictures that we have in our mind, the, the, the gestures, the images of Wolverine charging towards us, of, of Storm gracefully, you know, uh, summoning her power in the skies above Manhattan, of, of Jean Grey, you know. Battling the X Men, summoning the, the 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 Phoenix Force. I mean, this stuff is uh, the the artwork is what set X Men apart. They had better art than every comic book on the stands. The Avengers, the Fantastic Four, the Justice League. Nobody could hold a candle to the artist and the and the work that they were crafting. And it was a draw. Everybody wanted to draw the X Men. They wanted to draw their cool version of Colossus, their cool version of Wolverine, their cool version of Rogue, of Gambit, of Storm. And and so look. That is, uh, even 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 um, when, when I talked about signature battles, Joe Matiera during his run on the X Men with Scott Lobdell did a killer. They, they did an isolated issue where Cannonball faced off against Gladiator, and it was fantastic. It was an, an it was an epic romp. It was it was a, a, a tremendous throwdown because it showed you the extent of, of 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 Cannonball's powers and that force shield that 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 is his blast shield when he's using his powers and how effective it was in both. Uh, you know, defending against someone as powerful as Gladiator, who's as powerful as Superman, and throwing it on the offensive. 
Joe Montiera, huge. Just, you know, came in, gave a different look, but was the best guy doing that look. And again, kept that bar high on those books. Kept that, that, that bar very high. I mean, again, when they did a miniseries, when they did a spinoff, I mean, Frank Miller, who, who, who does the first Wolverine, I mean, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. That level of artistic uh, 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 excellence doing these stories, telling these stories and, and exciting us and grabbing, uh, capturing our imagination. And it is up to this new generation to give us all new versions and imagery that, that, that doesn't just uh, repeat on what we've seen in the past. And so X-Men is a showcase for the very best artists in the business, and it needs to get back to that. The, the final aspect of the book that needs to be explored, I, I know I hit, it with, I, I hit on more, more um, story-driven stuff with, with mystery, you know, mystery matters, but look, Dangerous Liaisons, uh, when Chris Claremont invoked that he had seen John Malkovich and, and, and Michelle Pfeiffer and, and loved the Valmon character and wanted to you know, kind of create his own version with Galmit, with, with Gambit, uh, and when I, when I heard him give this pitch to Bob Harris, look, romance has always mattered. Uh, these characters, the romance, the, 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 the romance between Scott and Gene, and then how Wolverine got wedged in, in between there. It's like, wait, Gene isn't really attracted to this guy. They called Wolverine a runt. Again, outcast, a guy who normally didn't fit in, who was short, who was hairy. We related to that. And then there's this, you know, uh, classically handsome Scott Summers, except Except what's stopping him is that he can't take his, his glasses off. But then, you know, Jean came up with one time, no, you can do this. I'm going to hold your power back because she had become so powerful in her, you know, new incarnation. But these all speaks to the romance. And, and then, of course, the, you know, Jean was, you know, somehow attracted to Logan. And it upset Scott. He, he, he picked up on him. There was jealousy. We picked up on it. You know, the romance between Colossus and Kitty Pride. they fell in love. They broke up. Our hearts broke. Along the way, as, as much as we were, this is this, this sweet, innocent romance. Like then we, we felt it when they, when, they, when they called it quits, when they took a break. Uh, with, with, with Forge and with Storm, these incredible issues by Chris Claremont and, 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 uh, and Barry Windsor Smith, that, that just the, the compelling romance uh, that, that has driven with, with, with Charles Xavier and, and Lalandra, an empress from outer space. We were all in. The thing is, these relationships add to the danger of, of the book and danger. Uh, that's why I'm, I'm using the word dangerous liaisons. I mean, these characters have always had danger lurking around them, basically just by virtue of, of, of who they are and, and the hunted and feared by those they're sworn to protect, you know, uh, concept that they thrive in. Then the idea of having romance within this context drives the stakes up even further. It's what made the death of Phoenix so heartbreaking when, when, when Jean has to say goodbye to Scott, that she's going to take her own life, that she's not going to go on any further. She's not going to subject the X-Men to any more danger. We had been on that ride. We had seen her corrupted. And now we saw her in her most innocent act at the time in the book that I was reading, not the, not the reboot of that, not the redo of that, not the, you know, new spin, that book, that X-Men 137 that came out in 1980. It was all built on that romance, that relationship, uh, the sacrifices that Xavier made, the, the, the wrenching, the gut-wrenching decision that he uh, had, to, had to make in, in that same issue going against the love of his life, Lalandra, who had, who had leveled judgment against you know, one of his pupils for the longest time. 
It's those romances. It's those relationships. The X-Men, they love. They, they, they risk it all for love. <clears throat> they, uh, the relationships so define the stakes. And, and let's get back to some fantastic uh, romance and relationships. Again, Mariko, Logan falls in love with her. He, he, he sacrifices everything for her. And then she is handed you know, the, 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 the power of her father's uh, crooked organization. They call it off. Wolverine is heartbroken. We felt that. We felt that pain. Oh, it was it was just fantastic. Uh, the, these these romances, these dangerous liaisons, have to have to find their way back into the X Men comics. And then, last but not least, so I'm going to tell you what I would do. Put your money where your mouth is, Liefeld. Put your money where your mouth is, Liefeld. I uh, I briefly spoke of this to CB Sabalski when we were in New York Comic Con, and 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 the response is either near here nor there because i didn't go as deep with him as i'm going to go with you but i'm, I'm going to tell you it's the no-brainer of all time in 1975 as we've gone over many 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 times on this show the x-men were transformed giant size x-men number one depicted a original x-men team of angel uh beast iceman cyclops and marvel girl that was vanished and believed to be uh held captive by a living island named krakoa Charles Xavier set about to round up a group of mutants that would save them. Wolverine, Colossus, Nightcrawler, Banshee, Sunfire, Warpath, I'm sorry, Thunderbird. You know, he, he, he gathered this international group of mutants that would save the X-Men from Krakoa and thus was born an all-new age. And a new age of characters that would redefine Marvel and become some of the most popular characters in their history. I said, you should do a giant size X-Men number one. Revisit it. And what I would do, uh, I, I just said to CB, that's, that's what I would do. I would, I, would, I would end the Krakoa era and start the new era by revisiting Krakoa, which Krakoa was uh, originally you know, introduced in Giant Says X-Men number one. This time I would have the real Charles Xavier emerge. He, he arrives. He has escaped the, the real Charles Xavier, and he has to grab a team of mutants to save uh, the mutants that are suffering uh, on Krakoa. And, and he comes forth and says, that Charles Xavier that's been in that book for all these years, these last four years, that's not me. That was never me. But I've escaped uh, fr- from, from the fate and the clutches uh, of, of evil that were, that were you know, suppressing me. And now I've got to gather another team a strike force of X-Men that is going to uh, take down Krakoa and save mutant kind. A one-shot, one 60-page kick-ass, balls-to-the-wall story that puts an exclamation point and a definitive end. And yeah, maybe you're going to meet some new mutants along the way. That's kind of always worked out for Marvel when it's um, done correctly. And uh, no, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy to do it. It, it, it. We all have our times where we sit on our couch and our beanbag and our recliner on our bed and think of what would I do if I took over this? That doesn't always mean you want to be a part of it, but conceptually I can't think of a better way to, to, to transition than, than revisit the classic, a giant size, a brand new giant size X-Men number one. The stakes are the same. Krakoa is, is, uh, 
is 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 the stakes. It is the consequences. It is what he has to save mutant kind from and a brand new band of mutants mixed with some others because along the way in Giants as X-Men number one, I didn't know at the time that Banshee was already an existing character and Sunfire was already an existing character. I knew Wolverine came from Hulk. But same situation. Ultimately, there were three to four brand new characters, but mixed alongside existing mutants from their history. Maybe updates, maybe upgrades. There's certainly a large list of mutants that have been wildly untapped. But that's what I'd do. I would have Xavier come forward and say, that's not me. That's, that hasn't been me. Whoops, mystery. Oh, you get, you get some mystery right there. And, and that guy masquerading as Xavier is not me. Whoops, mystery right there. And we're going to take this down and we're going to save the children of the Adam. And that is what I would do. And that is how I am going to end X-Men The Road Back. This, th- these are the elements that they need to focus on as they restore the X-Men. They need to do number one. Remember, they are outcasts, hunted and feared by those they have sworn to protect. They are not gods. They are not rulers. Number two, mystery matters. All of the great X-Men characters and the audience and the popularity of this book comes from so much of the mystery that surrounds uh, it, its, its supporting cast. Number two, the X-Men always reflects the best of pop culture. It's fluid. When it's popular out there, it's, it's, it's incorporated into the X-Men. It just is. I, I've already explained it to you. I can't do any better than that. The X-Men uh, is the, the showcase for the greatest artists in the history of comics. Come on. Do not, for one minute, forget this fact. Uh, big action sequences. Don't, don't, don't ever forget that you need giant signature action sequences. Uh, the X-Men has a history of some of the best and most exciting action sequences and dangerous liaisons. The relationships, the romances, they matter. They drive the stakes. We need to get back to that. We need to have signature relationships and romances that the audience buys into. Would I do it in a giant size X-Men number one where Xavier uh, has survived and reveals that that's not me and it sets in motion kind of a an all-new version of 1975's Giant Size X-Men number one. Money in the bank. Boom. Cash that check. That's what I would do. That's my finger on that pulse. And that is what I would put forth in, 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 in terms of just a reminder of the things that we love about this franchise. I hate that word. <laughs> but it's what it is. X-Men, it's a franchise. And, and the relatability of these characters is, is first and foremost, they were... Like I said, the teenager that was scared of being bullied, okay? Uh, the, 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 the teenager that didn't, fit that, they, that didn't feel that they fit in. We got to get back to that. Not rulers, not special, not gods. Um, anyway, th- thank you so much for listening to this very special edition of the X-Men, The Road Back, this very special edition of Rob's Observations. We are uh, almost done with Rob's Observations for the year. You have been so incredibly generous in listening and supporting the show, and I am so very grateful. Uh, on, on, on normal editions, I would read your reviews and I will on our very fat la- last episode, which is coming up uh, sooner than you think. And, and I will share that, but I will just remind you that you can find me on social media at Twitter. I am uh, Twitter slash X. I'm at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, the full name at Robert Liefeld. I have a blue check signifying I am the real deal. I am the genuine article. You can find me. I love reading your comments, your, uh, your, 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 your mentions your DMs, all of the stuff. Um, thank you for talking to me, following me, and interacting with me over on Twitter slash X at Robert Liefeld. On Instagram, I am just at Rob Liefeld. Another blue check tells you I am the uh, the genuine article. And uh, that is my 
showcase for art and food and family and friends. And I would love for you to to follow me over there. It's, it's, it's my visual diary of my life, uh, as messy and, and maybe uh, as, as funny and weird as it possibly can be. But I am at Rob Liefeld over on Instagram. There is a group that I would love to invite you uh, to visit on Facebook called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. I would love for you to visit us over there. Myself and an administrator named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A. Uh, we will be the ones that click you through. So many of the discussions that we have here uh, we we continue and have on a deeper level over in that group, and we share art. There's art contests that Terry runs. There's all sorts of sharing of cool comics, concepts. Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond is the group at Facebook. Look for us. We will be um, happy to welcome you into the fold. There is an app. It's called Whatnot. I'll be on Whatnot uh, through the rest of the year with all our different holiday gifts. We, we're loaded up on toys and Funkos and art and exclusive uh, uh, variants and comic books. There is There are comics that you can only get from me on Whatnot. There is a Captain America uh, exclusive, uh, a foil version, as well as a trade dress and a virgin version. There, there's a New Mutants 98 exclusive on Whatnot. There is a Spider-Man uh, uh, facsimile exclusive on Whatnot. I have uh, Deadpool Batter Blood uh, exclusive, several of them on whatnot. You can only get it if you get the whatnot app, download it, follow Rob Liefeld. You'll get notified when I'm going to have a new show and and you'll see all the stuff that we have to offer. I am talking to you the entire time. There's not a hand placing a comic in front of you. It's me. I'm sitting on my beanbag. I'm just hanging out with all of you and it is such a fun time. I love hanging with you guys. So download whatnot. It is a collectible app. They have everything you're going to want, cards, toys, uh, sports memorabilia, trading cards, and I'm there with my comics and my cards and my toys and my Funkos. And I would love to interact with you. Follow me, Rob Liefeld, on whatnot. I do always wish and hope that you are doing great, that your emotional, physical, spiritual, and mental state, your, your, your being is, is in its best shape. The world is, it just feels like the world is absolutely on fire right now after slightly cooling off for a period. But I am hoping that you are uh, in your best possible version of yourself and that you can find time to get off the grind, get off that treadmill. I do. Have a great meal, have some candy, have some ice cream, spend time with friends, family, read a great book, read a great comic book, watch a cool movie, just escape, get off the grind. That is always going to be my wish, even for a day, just a cheat day, just a day off. Make make that weekend day matter. Make that um, time with your friends at the pub. You know, my son, he gets off work. He tells dad, we have a dedicated day that we all meet at the pub and we hang out. And if you miss two weeks in a row, you got to buy a full round of drinks. I love that. That's my son looking. He works in the private sector. He's been in business now for almost two years. That's his way of getting off the treadmill. That's his way of, 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 of having a good time and a good laugh. And look, the whole world is, is doing their very best to function and to, and, 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 uh, and to exist. And so my wish for you, of course, I'm going to mention uh, in, in, in the scope of all this and in wishing for you that you, you find your way off that treadmill and, and step away from the grind. Of course, I'm going to incorporate a Reese's peanut butter big cup. Did I have one before I rocked this mic? I did. And it was delicious. I wish it would have lasted longer, but it didn't. But uh, uh, Reese's Big Cups, woo! My uh, my cheat meal uh, of, of of choice, and I have it. I have one a day. One a day keeps uh, the the depression away. That's how I look at it. Hey, I'm I am rooting for you. I am fist bumping you through this blue Yeti microphone. Uh, I love that you spend time with me. Thank you so very much for hanging out with me. Come back around. We're gonna do this at least one more time. Uh, Rob observations. We're not over yet. I'll be here. I'll be sitting under the tree. I'll be waiting to see you, waiting for you to pull up. We will most certainly, definitively, absolutely talk again real soon.